This is recording number 10936 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, July 31, 2011. This is the 18th message in the series titled, Doctor's Gospel, by Randy Bolt. This message is titled, A Tree in the Vineyard. going to be looking at four verses in Luke chapter 13 verses 6 through 9. And where we left off last week we were talking about the uh, highly unpleasant subject of hypocrisy. But I think we saw how uh, hypocrisy can kind of make its way into our own lives where we uh, are, are kind of two-faced. Nobody ever starts out to be that way, and yet it seems to sort of overtake us, doesn't it? Where we find ourselves saying one thing or believing one thing and doing another. And uh, so with that in the background, and Jesus having been confronting that tendency, not only in the religious leaders, but in every one of us, to be people who are less than fully... Uh, integrated people, and when we use that word, the word that uh, is often thrown around um, loosely, integrity, when we use that word integrity, that should apply to each one of us as followers of Christ, which means that my whole life is fully integrated. My heart, my soul, my mind, my, my body, that everything about me is, is, uh, is fully integrated in the terms of a passionate pursuit of Jesus so that when the Lord was addressing or confronting uh, the tendencies in our lives to be less than uh, integrated people of integrity in terms of how we relate to the Lord, he came to, uh, or he, he approaches now uh, this um, parable with that as the background. So let's read it, beginning at verse 6. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it, and if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. I have had three primary mentors in my life, at least in terms of um, being a pastor. Uh, Ralph Moore, Jim Hayford, and Daniel Brown, in that order. And uh, today, still... Um, I, I learned so much from those men, but I consider the first men, na- person that I mentioned, Ralph Moore, to be my, my pastor to this day. And In fact, uh, in April uh, was our last uh, check-in time. So then I, he, he pastors in Hawaii, which is a very tough gig. But, um, <laughs> so Sue and I uh, um, went and uh, visited with them there. So I still consider him my pastor. But these guys have had... Um, all three of these men have had very significant impact on my life. Um, how many of you have ever heard me say, uh, when I'm speaking or, or teaching, 
I'll, I'll, I'll say something like, yeah, and we're going to read this first, and then we're going to be done and go home, or something to that nature. Anybody ever heard me say that? I get that from Ralph Moore. I try not to, but I can't help it. He has, his influence on my life has deposited certain things. That little phrase, just a, a small indication of it. Many of you will recognize that I do my best not to refer to this building or this property as the church. I always try to say the church building or the church space. I, because these things are not the church. The church is people. The people of God. So I try not to confuse the two. And, and sometimes I know it seems a little odd because I'll, I'll, the shortcut would be, hey, let's meet at the church. And I'll have to end up saying, let's meet at the church building. And, and I don't know if you've ever thought it, but I, when I hear that come out of my mouth, sometimes I think they, they must be wondering what I mean or why I say it that way. Well, I say it that way because Jim Hayford drilled that into my head when I served under him as an assisting pastor. The church is people. I can't bring myself to call this building the church. Although, if you do, I will not slap you. I promise. Um, last week, when I was uh, preaching, I heard myself say a Daniel Brownism. I heard myself talk about, use this phrase, preacher person. I got that from Daniel Brown. These people have impacted me. I'm just telling you little things that I say that they have... Um, uh, to put into my life or deposited into my life. It's so much more than that. So much more that I've gained from these mentoring relationships. Perhaps you have too. How many of you have had a mentor in your life? And could, by waving your hand, say, yeah, I, I recognize I have been impacted by that. I am not a Star Trek fan. I am a Star Wars fan. And let's be clear, there is a difference. Okay? <laughs> But I do know that one of the star, in one of the Star Trek movies, I think it's the one that's called Generations. I could be wrong about that. But anyway, there's a part of the, the climax of the movie is when the, uh, the gravitational pull of one heavenly body is used to change the direction of another. And when uh, astronomers are charting the heavens, you know, using the telescopes, the Hubble, and everything else that they have at their disposal. Sometimes there are things that they're in space that they can't see, but they know they're there because of the impact that they have on surrounding things, objects that they, can't, they can see. The gravitational pull of, of an object they can't see is affecting something they can, and so they know that there's something there that they can't see. You understand what I'm saying? And all of us, well, I, sh I, I would, um, maybe I shouldn't speak for you, but I, but I think I can, that probably all of us have had um, mentors, or even if they weren't particularly, uh, you know, specifically called that, who have had that kind of impact on our lives where the course of our life has been altered or changed in ways because of our being in proximity or, or under the influence or in association with uh, these people. Sometimes that's for good and sometimes it's, it's not, but it's the, the way of things. Well, Jesus in this parable is describing... I mean, it's pretty clear that we're really actually looking in on a conversation among the, fa uh, the Godhead, the, fa the God the Father and, the God, and God the Son. We're really hearing an internal conversation in God 
from God. And God is looking for fruit and finding none. Now, a fig tree uh, is often used in the Bible to describe the people of Israel. But it's pretty clear that this is not just about the Jewish people. But it's talking about God looking for fruit in the lives of his people. And not finding any. Our God is both uh, just and merciful at exactly the same time. We don't know how to do that. We're one or the other, aren't we? (laughs) I'm praying when the policeman pulls me over for speeding, I'm praying that this will be the one moment in his life when he will be both just and merciful. Alan. um, (laughs) It never happens. (laughs) God is both at the same time. So here we hear the Heavenly Father speaking out of his justice. Look, I've been coming looking for fruit on this tree for three years. There's none. Let's be real about this. This thing is using up space. It's pretty harsh. But then there's the mercy of God. Oh, but let's give it one more year. I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. This internal conversation that gives us... I'm not trying to... You know I'm not saying that God is schizophrenic. But, but God is so big, so great, so beyond human comprehension that this, the, this conversation that's embedded in this parable gives us some insight into the greatness of our God that he can be both just and merciful at the same time and that that is his heart towards us. But we must not forget that there is the just part of God and the just part of God is looking for fruit. Because look, if I'm hanging out with Jesus, which I claim to be, I claim to be, I don't know about you, but I claim to be a Christian, a follower of Christ. So if I'm hanging out with Jesus, that ought to have some impact on my life. It ought to be that the direction of my life is altered by the, the pull of who he is and what he is. It ought to be that his mentoring of me should change me, the way I talk, the things that I aspire to, the way I, I, I move through life. And the issue here is, what if that stuff isn't happening? And what do we do about it? And so we're going to talk a little bit today about the kind of fruit that God is looking for and what happens when it's not present in the ways that we, we want and we certainly know from this parable that he wants. And the Bible's not, unambig- or, uh, not ambiguous about it. It's clear. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, I want to ask you to turn there. Take this Bible now that we've read from Luke chapter uh, 13 and turn farther back in the New Testament to a little book called Galatians. Galatians. And to chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And when you get there, look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is, and here we go, 
So it's clear. God is not... You know, sometimes... Have you ever had a, a superior who had expectations of you that weren't clear? That is the toughest thing in the world because you can never please them. You can never... You never know where you stand. Our God has been clear about what he intends to see, what he's looking for in terms of fruit in our life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace... Long-suffering, which means patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. That last phrase there, against such there is no law, is pretty, uh, fairly curious, although pretty wonderful in a way. It's as though, uh, because, you know, right before this, I'll read it. You, I mean, you don't have to... If you, don't, if you don't want to turn there, but all, you're already there anyway. It's just a few verses up. It says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, verse 17. And these are contrary to one another, so that you not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery. I'm, I'm warning you, this is not pleasant material. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Who wants to be like that? I mean, some of us can see parts of our lives there. Let's be honest. But we don't want to be there. We don't want, to be, we don't want those things to be true of us. We do, however, when you get to verse 22, we like that stuff, don't you? I do love, joy, peace, patience. These things are, I want that. And then Paul ends that passage by saying, and you know know what? You can have all of that you want. Against such, there is no law. There's no regulation. There's no governor. Nothing to restrict or restrain how much you can have of that. I like that. (laughs) The curious thing is, have you ever... Have you ever uh, felt yourself kind of wondering if it would be a bad thing to be just, you know, too good? <laughs> oh, you know, well, I, I don't want to be too good, you know. I, I wouldn't want to be too peaceful. I, I wouldn't want to have too much joy. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's absurd. It's weird. And yet sometimes, those, sometimes that thought can come to, well, you know, I ought to sort of balance it out a little bit. Let's get real here. But, but Paul writing to the Galatians says, against such there is no law. Have all you want. This is the fruit that, that our God is looking for in our lives. Let's just take a minute to talk about about that fruit. And by the way, this is a picture of a fig. Love. The word here is the word agape. The word that was taken from the Greek language, brought into the New Testament to be used exclusively for the kind of love that God has. A love that doesn't expect any return for its giving. A love that is complete and full without restraint, lavish in every way. And God is looking for some mirror, some reflection, some of that to be showing up in my life and yours. 
And look, it isn't that I don't want that. I do want that. I bet you do too. Love and then joy. Joy. The Bible says that the kind of joy that he wants for us to experience is inexpressible, unspeakable, and full of joy, the Bible says. We can be, I'm sorry, and full of glory. Joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. Inexpressible is what that means. It means that you can't explain it. It's not joy that comes from having, you know, ridden Medusa over here at Discovery (laughs) Kingdom. It's not joy that comes from anything. It's just there. It's just there. Peace. Peace. The Bible says that the kind of peace that the Holy Spirit can produce in our life is a peace that passes understanding. It doesn't make any sense. That even when the worst possible stuff is happening around my life, there's, I'm still at rest. I'm still at peace. Long-suffering means patience. Patience. I will not ask you to raise your hand about this, but I was wondering if maybe one or two of us might have a little trouble with patience. But when we hang out with Jesus, something of... here I will ask you to raise your hand about this. How many of you are thankful he has patience with you? If some of that could rub off on me, hallelujah, I want to bear that fruit. Kindness. Kindness. Um, It literally means moral excellence. And I love the way that it's situated here. Patience and then kindness. In fact, it's the same same in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it's often talked about as the love chapter, the place where agape love is described, where it says God or love, and you can... You can interchange those two words because the Bible says God is love. But in that passage, it says love, agape love, God's love is patient and kind. Even if there was some way that you could be the person, the one person on the planet who uh, is the straw that breaks the camel's back, you are the one person who, who ends God's patience somehow. Even if that were true, he would still be kind. Because he is morally excellent. I want to be a kind person. Now, even when you are catching my patience, <laughs> I am still kind. Goodness, goodness. That has to do with virtue or beneficence. When was the last time you used that word in a sentence? <laughs> Um, it means that how I conduct myself, uh, the way I treat people, how I live, um, the things that I think, the motivations that I have are based on godliness, righteousness. They're good. Goodness. Faithfulness. 
Now, we usually use that word faithfulness to describe something or someone that is consistent. You can always count on them. As a, you know, John is a faithful guy. I can count on John every time he stops by here to visit me during the week to ask me if I need anything from Costco. I can count on that. He's faithful. <laughs> but in this place, that word really is the word pistis in Greek. That's, that's just plain old faith, meaning that the kind of fruit that God is looking for in my life, the kind of fruit that ought to be pr- uh, produced in someone who is a Christ follower, hanging out with the living Savior who is our mentor, our divine mentor, ought to be that I trust him. Pistis, faith. I am full of faith. Now, this faith, Pistis, is not the kind of... You've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. It's not the kind of faith that analyzes the chair, the design, the engineering that went into that, and from a distance decides, yes, that chair would probably support my weight if I sat in it. There's a lot of people that approach... They they have that kind of faith in God. It's like, yes, this world could not be what it is without some sort of... God likes somebody out there who started all this. Because even if you are a, a completely, even if you're a completely godless, the farthest back you can get is possibly the Big Bang. If you're willing to embrace that, that's as far as you can get. Then what? What caused the Big Bang? Uh, we don't know. We don't go there. We don't talk about that. But some of us have decided, well, there must have been something before the Big Bang and you know, there must be a God out there somewhere. But Pistis, the faith that's described here, is the person who has come to that place and then stuck their butt in the chair. Actually decided to put the weight of their life on what they claim to believe. And there's something about the fruit of being one who places the weight of your whole life into the hands of of our loving God that is evidence of his having mentored you because you've seen how how trustworthy he is. And then there's gentleness. Gentleness is synonymous with meekness, M-E-E-K. We we don't often use that word either, but in case you have encountered it before, uh, I wanted you to know that they, they kind of go together. And the re- another reason why I wanted to say that is because there's kind of a trite little phrase that somebody taught me one time that meekness is not weakness. Because a lot of times when we think of being gentle people, it's less appealing to some of us who are, you know. <laughs> we don't want to be known as, oh, he's gentle. She's gentle. But the, the word gentleness or meekness is not, not a term for, for weakness. It doesn't mean you don't have a spine. It doesn't mean that you aren't bold. It doesn't mean that you aren't courageous. In fact, it means, it really, it's used sometimes to describe like the bridle in a horse's mouth that, that uh, power is under control. There's, there's lots of power there. But it's under the control, under the control of our God. I want to be like that. I want to be someone who's bold, who is courageous, fearless, 
strong, but I want all of that strength and all of that courage and all that boldness to be under the control of the Savior because we all have been on the receiving end of people when it's not, and it, it's not pleasant. I want to be someone who is evidencing the fruit of gentleness, and then there's self-control. So God has the reins. God has control of my life. But then another fruit of the Spirit, or, yeah, another fruit of the Spirit is self-control, where I am starting to be able to exercise control over my life and over my person. You ever had those times when you, you've said to yourself, gosh, I wish I wouldn't have eaten that. I wish I wouldn't have gone there. I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. We have a God in heaven who is always forgiving, always merciful, always kind, always willing to meet us in those times when we're frustrated with what we've done. He's never, he, he's never uh, cutting us off or giving up on us. But isn't it great in those times when you recognize the fruit of kind of hanging out with Jesus long enough that you start to say no when they pass that second plate of whatever it is. And when everybody wants you to go with them here and you say, I'll pass this time. When you catch that word before it leaves your lips, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus, in the parable he told, he was telling us that God is looking for fruit. He's looking for fruit. That the result of my having been a follower of him, having uh, committed my life to him, is that this stuff begins to be evident in my life and in increasing measure. Now, I would be um, pretty convinced that, I mean, I, I would be very convinced that nearly all of us in the room are people who would claim to be followers of Christ. And I could, you know, were I a, a fruit inspector, which I am not, but were I a spiritual fruit inspector, I am certain that I would see evidence of this, this fruit taking shape, budding out in your life. For probably all of us, not nearly enough. We'd want more. But we have this promise, there's no law governing how much we can have. Lord, let the fruit be evident in me. The Bible says that uh, people are supposed to taste and see that God is good. How do they do that? By sampling you and me. Sue and I, we went up to Gold Hill one time uh, up above Placerville where a, a whole bunch of uh, apple farms in this marketing thing got together and created this thing called Apple Hill, and maybe you know about it. Anyway, we went up there one time and went to one of the farms, and they actually had a, an, a, a sample bar, all these different kinds of apples. They had little slices of each one. You took a toothpick and stabbed it, and you could taste, a, I don't know, what are the different kinds? Uh, galas and Fujis and Red Delicious and can see what I know about fruit. That's why I'm not a fruit inspector. But anyway, um, <clears throat> we're like that. For those who don't yet know the Savior, you and I are the, are the samples. That's why this is such a critical issue. He's left us here to be the sample table. Now, when people encounter my life, they can taste something of him. 
and get a taste of a, a, a desire for more of that. <clears throat> That's why this is so important. But I know that uh, as I was going through this, that you were probably like me saying, Oh, dear God, I want more of that fruit to be evident in my life. And I love <clears throat> what we see here at the, at the end of this parable in verse 8, when the mercy of God speaks. It says, oh, one more year. <laughs> Give me one more year. I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it. So what is... What's the process here? When we pray that prayer to God, dear God, I want, to see, I want for you to be able to see more of that fruit in my life. What's the process? Well, the first process is that he's going to take a shovel to you. There's, listen, dear one, there's, there's no way around it. You want to bear fruit, he's coming at you with a spade, a pick, a pitchfork, something. To stir up that hard ground. There's no way around it. And oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes that comes at us in the form of the Word of God. Because the Bible says the, the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That it gets down between the soul and spirit and it's the, it discerns the thoughts and from the intentions of our heart. I mean, really. And, and so God, maybe even today, is taking his word and kind of piercing some hard, hard ground there. But that's, that's, that's what he does. That's what he has to do. I mean, have you ever had, a, had an experience that kind of was like, ouch, with the word of God? That's God. Intending to produce more fruit. And then there's fertilizer. <laughs> How many of you, if you didn't actually uh, use the, these words specifically, you used something like them recently and have said, well, that stinks? <laughs> hmm? Guess where that's coming from? Because a lot of times the things we think stink are exactly what God needs to use to get the nourishment of his life down into our hearts and souls so that we produce more fruit. Um, one of the young men in our church Called me, or texted me this week to say that a job that he had applied for and been really hoping for didn't come through. He didn't get the job. He didn't say it in the text, but I, I could hear it. That stinks. Yeah, and it hurts, and I, we've all been through disappointments like that and so on. But can I say to you that more times than we want to acknowledge those things that seem to be disappointments, those things that seems that <laughs> those things that seem to be uh, less than what we were looking for out of life or some experience, is the mercy of God shoveling some manure on our lives that's going to be the ground for for producing great and rich fruit. <laughs> 